Hello listeners and welcome to the third season of Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year our association hosts several leading mental health conferences that allow us the chance to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as we go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand. From lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics, leading community organisations and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering for some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. As we all know, adolescents are highly influenced by their peers, and healthy peer relationships are important predictors of good mental health. However, the importance of peer relationships is not catered for in many mental health programs for young people, instead focusing on clinical interventions or online support materials. This week's podcast guest, David Butt, has played an integral role in shining a spotlight on youth peer support, helping to bring together the needs of young people with practical tools for problem solving and positive mental health. David is a national CEO of Grow Australia, an intentional peer-to-peer support organisation. Established in 1957, Grow was founded and continues to be run by people with lived experience and delivered by people with lived experience. Grow has drawn on its critically researched program and 60 years of experience to develop the Get Growing program for young people at risk of mental ill health. With vast experience in healthcare, David's previous roles have included CEO and Commissioner, National Mental Health Commission, Deputy Secretary for the Australian Department of Health and CEO of the Australian General Practice Network, amongst many others. Tune in as David informs us of his experience in mental health, Grow Australia and their future plans. David, thank you so much for for joining us this morning. Uh, Mental health, I think, for me, is something that is so fundamentally important in today's society for for a number of reasons. Um, One of the main ones being COVID-19. 2020 has been a remarkable year in in so many different ways. But I guess starting from the beginning, how did you come to work in in the mental health arena? Thanks, Louie. It's a bit of a long story. Um, I started my professional career in journalism. Oh, right. So I, I did that for almost 10 years and then I started working for the federal government in the health system and I've basically never gotten out of health. So, And I've had a lot of roles as CEO of various organisations. The first one was um, ACT Health and Community Care and then I was CEO of little company Mary Healthcare, um, about 8,000 staff. Um, and in all of these different roles, I've had an inter- intersection with mental health mm. um, because it's always, you know, I've run services that deliver, for example, acute mental health services. But uh, I then became CEO of the Australian General Practice Network, the divisions of general practice, and which then led them into becoming Medicare locals that, that then became the primary health networks of today. And there was big involvement in mental health in that. Um, and then like, I moved from there to be Deputy Secretary of the Australian Department of Health and responsibilities, things like population health, um, 
tobacco plain packaging, which was lots of fun, yes. uh, with a conversation in itself. I can imagine, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and primary healthcare, but also in things like rural health and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health, and ultimately in mental health. And I went from there to be the CEO and Commissioner of the National Mental Health Commission and led the um, Contributing Lives, Thriving Communities review, which led to lots of reform in mental health and regionalisation, um, pushing things out to primary health networks, uh, person-centred approaches and um, big focus on prevention, early intervention. And so it sort of has just evolved over time, I guess. And from there, I became CEO of the National Rural Health Alliance. Then I did consulting work in primary health care and mental health. And then saw the opportunity with Grow Australia and went there because I think I really... I mean, men mental health's a passion for me, so mm. there's no doubt about it. And I've been, you know, traversed the health system, I guess, in what I've done, but um, mental health was the area that I've actually gotten so much satisfaction out of being able to help people because there's so much need, as you know. Mm. What do you... What, why do you think there's such a need in 2020 in particular? Um, I think the... Well, I think it's been an under-resourced area for a long time. We've seen more resources and, and, you know, there's been a lot of stigma and discrimination and I think mm. one of the things I'll come back to is that I think um, what's happened this year with bushfires and COVID-19 is that we've actually been having conversations about mental health, which is great, so that's good. And I think people have forgotten about the bushfires <laughs> because they seem so long ago now but, you yeah. know, and so much has happened between but absolutely there's still so much. Oh. Trauma and damage that people are yeah. experiencing still from that time. Yeah, and we shouldn't forget that at all. So, yeah. So, and, you know, child and adolescent mental health, I mean, half of uh, mental illness manifests itself by the age of 14. So, mm. that focus on early intervention and prevention is, is a really fundamental part. So, hence where we're coming from. Um, it's, it's, you know, if you, if you don't get in early, then, you know, th things like bushfires. I mean, what's the impact of childhood trauma from children who were exposed to bushfires? Mm. Uh, what's the impact of children who live in families where there's been COVID-19 and potentially, you know, particularly grandparents have died, and particularly in Victoria? Yes, mm. exactly right. Mm. Well, as you mentioned, you know, so much uh, of the mental health that young people are experiencing, you know, sort of manifests itself by the age of 14. And, mm. you know, I, in my notes, I've got one in four young people are at risk of serious mental illness. Mm. So with Grow Australia, what sort of programs do you have that are aimed at the young people to, you know, help them through these difficult moments? Okay. So a little bit about Grow. Um, established in 1957 and it's about intentional peer-to-peer -peer support. So that's about people helping each other. Um, and it started out from um, people with quite severe mental illness um, not finding anything in the health system back then. I mean, in fact, it was a time when people were getting institutionalised and um, it was quite dramatic for yeah. them. Um, so they started forming quite structured formal groups that led to um, that peer interaction and you know people get confused between the difference between peer workers and peer support and I think it's an important thing to make because it does lead on to the child and adolescent work that we do. Mm. Um, so peer workers are very valuable, very important and we need more of them um, but they're people with a lived experience who are providing a service to someone else and often as part of a team whereas peer-to-peer -peer support or intentional peer-to-peer -to -peer support is about people getting together and helping each other. Yes. Um, and by helping someone else, you, you've discovered that that impacts on your own recovery. Mm. And, and growers help tens of thousands of people to recover over a long period of time. And so, you know, I'm, I've been really impressed by the evidence about it. And there's, there's a lot of international evidence about peer-to-peer -peer support, which makes sense because mm. it's social interaction, it's building 
community. Um, it, it is about helping each other and you know, make, making sure people are not alone. Um, so we took the principles of what we've done with adults in peer-to-peer -peer support and said, how are we going to reach other people? How do we reach out to others mm. who, may, who would, are going to benefit from our peer-to-peer -peer support program? And we developed you know, particular programs for prisons and carers and um, eGro, which really caught on, obviously, in COVID-19. Yeah, of course. Um, and iGro and um, um, rehabilitation, residential rehabilitation services for people with dual diagnosis, so a mental illness and drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, and then we, we developed also Get Growing, a schools-based program. And that was done through a co-design process. I mean, decades before co-design was a bit of a buzzword. Um, you know, our programs were being designed by people with lived experience and mm. delivered by them, and that's still the case today. So we took the same sort of model into schools. And Get Growing um, is a peer-based program. So it involves identifying kids who are at risk, and of, often that's through absenteeism or you know, um, referrals from counsellors or teachers or students themselves. And uh, it's a 10-week ten, ten program that's actually delivered in schools by us. Um, right. it's, not, it's not expecting the teachers to do it, um, yeah. but it's us delivering it. And one of the things that the teachers and principals are like, like about it is it actually reach, it, 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 it meets their requirements under the national curricula for social and emotional well-being, support, etc., which is wonderful. Really good. Yeah, it's very good. Um, and the the program, um, it, it it's got these ten weeks, and it looks at things like um, um, valuing yourself. Mm. I mean, a lot of children, a lot of students don't feel. That like they've got personal value. Um, it looks about that things like, well, yes, you will encounter problems along the way, but that's normal. So yes. it's a normal part of life. It looks at feelings and says, you know, don't don't get dominated by your feelings because mm. feelings are not necessarily reality and um, and things like friendship and so forth. But it's an interesting. I mean, I've sat through it and um, several times, and it's um, interesting program because it is a ten week program, but. I mean, we say we go in schools and deliver it, but it's actually the students who deliver it. Mm. So we're there to help them to engage and interact. And, you know, you can say it's structured, but if it, it never works that way because if a student, for example, raises some things about, say, friends and say, well, I've got a friend who belittles me and, you know, he's a bit of a bully, mm. um, it's not like you then say, well, in week seven we'll deal with that. Yes. So the students immediately start dealing with that issue and dealing with those those problems and what what's your our surveying in which we we evaluate all of our, our programs but what that one finds is it's something like 60 percent talk about how they feel much better about their own value that they value themselves more and 50 percent say that they now have know how to deal with feelings and mm. um, they don't get dominated by their feelings and they've created friendships and so forth and in effect it, it it's about it, it builds community within schools so that um, children, adolescents who were troubled before, they now know who they can go and talk to. They've got a much better idea about how they engage and how they do that ongoing peer-to-peer -peer support. And it actually results in um, more children coming back to school. Yeah. So they, they don't there's, – there's not the same levels of absence or anything like that. So. Well, it's forming that human connection, oh, isn't yeah. it? And that's important to all of us, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Do you, do you – just on what you were saying, is, is it – 
Is that human connection, are we missing that in today's society? Do we need to like structure it into our learnings so people, you know, especially children, know how to form those real connections mm. now? I think we are. I mean, mm. I think it's very fast-paced and then you've got social media on top of that which makes it more complicated. And, and everyone's working so everyone's hard. Everyone's working so hard. You know, and that's that's one of the things that I think in COVID-19 was quite um, in, the, in the early stages of the pandemic what you saw was the people connecting. Yes. They were, you know, going out and well, they, they met their neighbours for the first time or they went out on the calling out from balconies to each other and mm. having little local gatherings and, you know, at a distance and so forth. And I just thought that was beautiful because that's yes. actually what Grow was about, building social connections and community. Mm. And yet we saw people at a local level doing that. And, I, you know, I really would hope that that... Continues. Continues, yeah. Mm. Um, that people do realise that that in- interconnection has been so important because... You know, people people were well. People are still. Um, they were stressed. They were isolated. Mm. There was lots of uncertainty. We've actually introduced a new program called um, Growing Resilience, which is actually about that. Um, they were, you know, economically they were worried and all those sorts of things. And um, you know, we know that um, almost fifty percent of people will have a mental ill health problem at some stage during their lives. Yes. What we, and what we saw in that period was that people were getting together. They were distressed in daily living. Um, which if, if you've got that social connectedness, then hopefully it won't go on to depression, anxiety and other problems. Um, but it also meant that people who did have a mental ill health problem could connect with their neighbours. So, you know, we, we did surveying of um, the people who engage in our programs during the height of the pandemic and we found that, um, yes, their levels of anxiety and depression were uh, quite escalated. Uh, the one that I, that, you know, I found really quite extraordinary was the relationship breakdowns or the relationship problems they were having that that had gone through the roof. Yeah, right. Um, But... Well, living together in close quarters. Yeah, that's right, that's right. (laughs) And we saw it also with, you know, issues about domestic violence. Oh, of course, yes. But with our people, they could actually engage at a local level in their local community Mm. um, and and they could do it anonymously. They didn't have to go anywhere and say, oh, I've got... I think I've got a more severe mental ill health problem than I had. They could just engage with neighbours and on the phone and support each other. Yeah. Well, I just know from my experience in talking about my history with um, both depression and, and postnatal mm. depression, talking about my experiences with people mm. um, builds that connection and allows us uh, allows me to connect with people in, in such a... Mm. Uh, powerful way and makes me feel less alone because a lot of people resonate with what I talk about and I think if you're able to develop that with the with the young children to be able to connect over their lived experiences and and maybe help and support each other and get that advice you must see such wonderful results yeah I mean I think that's right well I think you were um, engaged in a mother's group for example yes that's absolutely a little bit like what we do with you know adult grow programs and then as you say with children and adolescents um, it, it's that Realising you're not alone, and in fact, you you know you're not you're not actually that different. But yes. You, but you are very still very you're a very important person. Every person is an individual, and every person is important. And so, getting that realisation actually, you know, what we've found through our programs, it does really build a lot of resilience and ability to cope. Um, and so, if you're going through something like COVID nineteen or whatever it may be, um, that's that's that puts pressure on children as well. And so. Obviously, there's a lot of restrictions that are in place due to COVID-19. What sort of um, things are you focusing on to m- ensure that connection 
still happens even though people might be physically isolated? Yeah, we found it um, difficult with children and adolescents because the schools, I mean, we couldn't get into schools or schools were not, not open. Uh, and there was a strong preference for that to be done on a face-to-face basis rather than online, even though we looked at doing it online. Um, and we still may go to that, but you know, it's, 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 not, it's not quite the same. With um, the adult programs, uh, well, we were, again, you, know, you couldn't go into prisons, you couldn't you know, deliver those sorts of programs. Um, with the adult programs, I mean, we'd been running eGro for about three years and um, it, we had about three or four groups going, but it wasn't a big take-up because, again, it was that thing about, well, we need to be in the same room together and give each other a hug at the end of the meeting. And, of course, in March... <laughs> had to close all that down, yeah. um, and like you know, within about three days of closing it down, um, well, most of them were back to on eGrow. They were meeting online um, through Zoom. Um, you know, there were some people who wouldn't. There were some groups that went into recession. Um, some people just couldn't use the technology, and we enabled them with you know laptops and bandwidth and all those sort of things as much as possible. But some people won't use it. Yes, you know, they're, they're fearful of it. Of so, course, you know so. Uh, so that that actually has gone very well. When when the restrictions were eased, there was a lot of push from a lot of the groups to get back to face to face. Unfortunately, the first place that push occurred was Victoria. Oh no! They, yeah, and then they had to lock down again. Um, so I, I think what we'll see is a mixture of staying online um, plus plus face to face. We've also developed a program called, as I mentioned earlier, Growing Resilience, yeah. which is about dealing with people's stress and anxiety about loss and uncertainty and relationships again that issue of the impact on relationships of what's of of daily living it's not just about COVID it's about daily living because you know it it is it can be very stressful exactly yeah yeah um so and, and then other things we're doing in relation to podcasts and um chat rooms and those sort of things so yeah looking at a lot more online um, but still trying to maintain particularly in relation to children and adolescents that as much face-to-face as possible I mean the the, one of the things that backed up get growing was the evidence that you get from say Mind Australia's um, um, annual surveys which which shows that the the vast majority of students will go to other students to seek advice when they've got a problem yeah Um, and that's that You've got to build on that, recognising that it's not always the best outcome or, or safe. So how do you build so that they are asking the right questions and know how to go about seeking advice and also getting a willingness for them to go to others when they need help? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So in, in you know the current environment, what are you finding the biggest challenges in, you know, in the mental health area for, for young people? Um, I think that... <laughs> Knowing what services to access, knowing how to go about accessing services. I mean, um, we've got things like... I mean, I, I think, in a sense, we've got... Um, I think a lot more investment is needed, but but in, in the youth area, I think we've got, you know, relatively higher investment than we do in the child area. Mm. So I think it's the, the childhood area where I'd say more investment is needed. I mean, in the youth area, we've got, obviously, headspace, and there's been a big investment in that. But headspace themselves would say they're not the answer to all things. Mm. You know, they can provide a bit particular component of what's needed in relation to mental health and well-being, but other services are needed. And I think it's that broader view about what other services are needed. Um, so th- we need to, do, we do need to focus on prevention, early intervention, uh, much more than we do at the moment. And the classic grow program for adults is more about 
severe end, whereas get growing is really about that prevention, early intervention, building resilience earlier. On the childhood side, um, again, I think the impact of child, child, childhood trauma is enormous and that, mm. that can be abuse or neglect. It can be a whole range of things, not necessarily just in the family but outside the family and bushfires is a good example. You know, the, the impact of childhood trauma stays with you, can stay with you for life and impact on your mental well-being in dreadful ways. So um, if you actually survey people who end up in acute mental health units, a lot of them have had childhood trauma. Mm. And so I think dealing with that early childhood period is really important. And Productivity Commission has recognised that in what they've put forward in their you know, final report, which just came out. Do you feel like in our society now we are more willing to talk about it, talk about mental health and... and um, there's a more willingness to to engage in those services now, particularly with with our adolescents. I I think definitely so. I think there's a um, we're, we're having the conversations more, and I think there's less stigma about it. Mm. Um, I still think it can be really hard for children and adolescents in a in a school setting, um, and we've found that our the way we've approached it is not stigmatising and not threatening, and they, mm. don't, they don't feel like they're being you know looked at by others. Um, because it goes the other way, it actually builds that connection and community. Um, but I think there is, you know, even again about COVID-19, there's been a great, much more willingness to have a conversation about mental health and wellbeing. Um, discrimination, I still think, is a pretty major issue. Mm. Um, even in young people? Oh, I think in, uh, particularly in... Um, <laughs> in townships where everyone knows each other. Yes, rural communities. Yeah, more yeah. in rural. Um you know, I mean, every community is different again, but, you know, you can have... I mean, it doesn't take much in the way of, say, bullying within a group for that to impact badly in a, in, a, in townships, um, mm. rural areas as an example. I, I think discrimination um, going into the workplace is still, a, is still a real issue. I think that's a big issue, yeah. yeah. Mm. So I think for adolescents wanting to get a job, you know, it's... it's you, I think there's still a feeling that you need to hide the fact that you've had mental health problems. Mm. So I think a lot more is needed in that area. So for Grow Australia, what's, what are the things that you're focusing on coming into 2021? Oh, look, I, I think expanding what we're doing in schools. I mean, I think if you look at um, the evidence about how peer-to-peer support works for you know, children and adolescents, um, the evidence is extraordinarily strong. Um, but it's it's um, one of the challenges is that you've almost got to go school by school. Mm. It's not like a state education department's going to say, well, every school should have this program. Um, it's it's the principals and the teachers and the counsellors who are making those decisions. So uh, I think the we would like to get um, have get growing delivered more broadly in more schools because we can see the impact that it's happening. And um, it, again, with the productivity commission, the, they made recommendations about. Um, the importance of um, having external groups go into school and deliver, deliver programs. And this is in the final report. In the interim report, they talked about um, a big responsibility for teachers to do that. And mm. I think you know, we know teachers have got so much of a load on them so anyway. So much of a workload, yeah. Um, that, you know, where you can provide help from external groups. And, they, and the Productivity Commission uh, talks about um, accrediting external programs that go into schools, which we're fine about. We meet the national curriculum and all that. I think that's a good idea so that schools can make choices about what works and what doesn't. Um, so, yeah, for us, um, the ability to deliver our program more broadly into schools is something that is going to be a really key focus for us, as is the 
you know, e-enabling e of all the other programs that we do. What advice would you give to um, people listening who, you know, are parents or caregivers mm. or teachers or, you know, principals who are working in these areas? How do they get engage with, with Grow Australia and, and get their programs into schools or, you know, perhaps um, get their child a, mm. as part of the program? Yeah, um, they can go onto our website and which is grow.org.au um, and Get Growing is in there. You can just put in your details and we'll get in touch. I think, I think have conversations in your local areas. Talk, you know, parents should be talking with teachers and counsellors and saying, well, what, what particular programs are you putting in place? Particularly if, you know, they, they recognise that, you know, their child may have a problem. Um, I mean, one of the things, uh, as an example, in the, we, we delivered the program quite extensively in the Northern Territory and we deli um, deal particularly with schools that have got high levels, high numbers of um, defence students. And mm. Of course, they move around, but, you, 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 you know, th there, are, there are real issues about how do you deal with that fact that they <laughs> have to be mobile and mm. they, they, they sometimes have um, parents who've been in war situations or engagement situations, PTSD issues, that's those sorts of things. Um, so I think having the conversations locally and saying, hey, how do, we, how do we engage with this type of program which is demonstrated to work? Mm. Um, and as I say, they, they can go on our website and we'll be back to them and say, hey, we can, we can deliver this. Um, we can, we're willing to have the conversation and see what we can do for you. And for you, David, what, what are your hopes for the mental health area? What, what do you hope to see in the, in the next five, ten years? Yeah, look, I mean... I th there's a strong push, obviously, for it to be more per to be person-centred. So, mm. um, with services around the needs of the individuals, their families, and communities, and I think that push is going to have to be <laughs> really followed up with uh, proper investment. Um, I mean, it, there's been a response to, in relation to COVID nineteen and the mental health impact of what was coming out of that, um, with, with with a big focus on you know, national organisations, crisis support, those sort of things. We now need to get into that harder area of how do you fund that range of, product, of services around the needs of individuals and com families and communities. So it's about the early intervention and the prevention. Um, it's about the psychosocial supports. It's about the community infrastructure. How do we build community and connection and all those sort of things. So it, it's, it's the long haul stuff that I think is missing. Um, and what you're seeing is that gap between what happens in a crisis situation and what happens in primary health care, for example, with general practice and mm. psychologists, and then what happens with people ending up in acute units. So how do you invest in that area that keeps people safe and in the community and feeling resilient and in employment or in education or whatever it might be? And so I think it's that, that area that is really needs, needs proper investment and um, integration coordination. It's incredible work that you're doing with Grow Australia. Congratulations on all of the hard work and I definitely wish you all the very best. Thank um, you, Libby, and thank you for the contribution you're making too and having the conversations. Oh, you're very kind. All the best for 2021. Thank you. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.